This is Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast, and I'm super excited to be speaking today with Phil Goldstein, the activist investor who runs Bulldog Investors. In 1992, Goldstein decided that after 25 years as a civil engineer for the city of New York, it was time to quit and start a hedge fund. Quite an unusual start. Over the past 30 years, Goldstein appeared to have found his calling. In 2006, he succeeded at taking down the Securities Exchange Commission's rule requiring hedge fund managers to register and open up their books to agency examiners. No one thought he would win that lawsuit, and he did. In the interim, he launched campaigns at several operating companies, Warwick Valley Telephone, Blair Corp, Hector Communication, the list goes on and on. But most of his activism over the years has focused on closed-end funds and business development companies. Thank you for joining us, Phil. Thanks, Ron. Okay, so today we're going to talk about a newish campaign. Uh, Phil has underway at a, at a closed-end fund, a dividend and income fund, a statutory trust, and why he thinks the fund's response to his campaign poses a broader threat to investor rights. So just a little bit of uh, contextual background here. The Securities Exchange Commission recently decided to uphold the closed-end fund's petition to remove a shareholder proposal Phil's daughter submitted to seeking to have a simple majority of votes cast to be required to elect trustees at the fund in contested election. Trustees are essentially the director equivalent for trust, statutory trust. Seems reasonable to have a, a major, simple majority of votes cast to elect trustees. But tell us about your campaign there and your daughter's shield proposal that was rejected. And then maybe we could get into the broad, potential broader implications of this uh, SEC decision. Sure. So it's it's a rather complicated um, uh, story, and I'll uh, I'll try to make it simple. Uh, first of all, as you as you said, uh, uh, dividend income fund, or I'll use the symbol DNI, um, <laughs> is a uh, closed end fund. It's sort of a rather plain vanilla fund, um, as it says, seeks dividend and income. And it it used to be uh, a Maryland uh, corporation. I, most closed-end funds, I think most mutual funds, are registered in Maryland. Maryland is, uh, is, is a pretty bad jurisdiction for shareholders, but the, the, the fund managers pick Maryland, and it's not because it's, it's good for shareholders. Mm-hmm. But I guess that wasn't enough protection for the manager, so... About eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, they decided to to convert it from a, a Maryland corporation, which is bad enough, to a Delaware statutory trust. Mm-hmm. And a number of other funds and some REITs have gone to Delaware statutory trusts. And the Delaware statutory trust essentially allows the trustees to... Uh, pretty much do whatever they want, and it's it's it really shifts the balance of of power from uh, sh- uh, shareholders, whatever little power shareholders generally have, to the trustees. And one of the things that they they put in the now they they are required to have annual meetings, not because it's required under state law which it would be under virtually every corp- state's corporate law, but, but um, it's required by the, uh, the um, exchanges, the New York mm-hmm. Stock Exchange. So uh, in this case, they, the trustees 
had a have had a bylaw that sets the standard for electing a trustee, mm-hmm. and the 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 bylaws, uh, and I'll paraphrase it, says that well, if it's an uncontested election, but you know the incumbent trustee is running uh, without without any competition, all you need is a plurality of the votes cast, which essentially means one vote. Mm-hmm. One so, vote in favor, and even if a majority oppose it, that's that the right. person who owns one, one share for himself, he can get exactly. elected to the party. Yeah, right. Because nobody, right? One share in favor, and there could be a million shares against, and and you're still elected. However, if there's if there's a contested election, which means shareholders have a choice, now all of a sudden the standard changes to where, in order to be elected, you need. 75% of the outstanding shares. Mm-hmm. Which, which is, is pretty much impossible to achieve, achieve basically. It's impossible. Or the incumbent or the dissonant, actually. Right. So, so what you're going to have there is a, what they call a failed election. Mm-hmm. And, and they do that. So they put that standard in, uh, obviously, with the intent of having a failed election. And what happens after a failed election is that the incumbent gets to uh, retain his position until the next meeting, but essentially it could mean forever because anytime you run, um, you're never going to be able to oust the incumbent director mm-hmm. so, or not a trustee in this case. So this, this proposal guess. sought to reduce the threshold for being elected in a contested election to majority of votes cast, which is what you typically see at, at most companies, right, uh, in, a, in a contested election. Right. Right. And whenever there's a choice, generally, for most reputable companies, whoever gets the most votes wins. So uh, I asked my daughter, and the reason I had my daughter submit the proposal was because it was done under Rule 14A8, Mm -hmm. and she had owned the shares for more than a year. I didn't didn't have it for more than a year, and that was a requirement. So she, so she, she qualified to submit the proposal, basically. Right, she it. qualified okay. to submit the proposal. And okay. so after it was submitted, the, the, the board hired Skadden Arps to uh, request a no-action letter to omit the proposal, and the, they had a number of reasons. Uh, most of them were pretty, um, you know, specious. They, they really weren't going to get anywhere, but they had one reason, and the SEC, as you pointed out, wound up buying it, their argument, which was there was another provision in the trust documents, and that provision said essentially that that shareholders could only submit proposals on specific topics, and, and those topics... A very limited were, uh, selection of topics, and this one didn't qualify. Right, and those, those topics were really topics that are required under for a shareholder vote under under state or federal law, like for example a merger or a liquidation, things like that. You know, major mm-hmm. transactions. So any other proposal, they they essentially were saying to the SEC, well, shareholders don't have a right to vote on that. So therefore. They 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 can't even vote on this, even though it was what they call a precatory proposal, meaning yeah, non-binding. Non-binding. Yeah. There were a number of letters back and forth, you know, from Skadden and from me, and eventually the SEC uh, with said agreed with with Skadden, 
although there was no reasoning behind their letter so that you know you really don't know what their thinking was okay so um we're gonna get into how you feel like this this what happened to you or what happened to your daughter's proposal at uh dividend and income fund couldn't kind of spill over into operating businesses. But I did some research and found that there are structural issues suggesting that operating company shareholders hoping to submit proposals won't be restricted in the way you restrict the DNI. And so one of the things that I found is that unlike statutory trusts, such as dividend and income, Delaware corporations, which let's face it, they represent the biggest chunk of operating companies in the U.S., uh, provide shareholders with a number of significant voting rights, including the ability to adopt, amend, or repeal corporate bylaws. And, and while Delaware corporations can change bylaws without a shareholder vote, invest, investors can subsequently seek to reverse those changes. Though we, you know, we discussed this. They might have a difficulty in doing so, and companies can seek to subsequently restore those bylaws. But alternatively, trustees, the equivalent of, like I mentioned before, the equivalent of directors at trust, established the bylaws for Delaware statutory trusts, and shareholders don't have a statutory right to vote on those bylaws at trusts. So basically, investors in trusts appear to have far less power uh, than investors in operating companies. So I guess, do you agree with that thesis? And then why do you think this could spill over into operating companies? I do. I, I agree with everything you said. However, you, you know, the devil's in the details. Uh, and let me point out a couple of practical problems with uh, that why and why it can spill over and and for what oh, let's talk about Delaware you're right Delaware shareholders can uh, amend the bylaws and that's 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 in the statute mm-hmm. however the bo- the board can for example let, let, let's just say that a company, a major company like Exxon, for example, decides they're fed up with getting shareholder proposals. So the board adopts a bylaw, and let's say the bylaw says, well, shareholders only have the right to vote on proposals that um, are are mandated uh, for a stockholder vote by statute, or, or let's say proposals that the board, like for example, said, let's say they said the shareholders cannot vote on any proposal that the board determines in good faith will have no material uh, effect on the uh, financial condition of the company. And that seems like maybe even a legitimate proposal, but you don't like that. You're a, let's say you want to put in a proposal asking Exxon to give reports about uh, its pollution. So you say, well, okay, they, let's say they adopt that bylaw today. Now, let, mm-hmm. for example, let's say their, meet, their annual meeting is next week or something. Mm-hmm. So now you have to wait a whole year to even submit a proposal to amend the bylaws to reverse that. So you can't submit uh, in practical terms for next year. You would not be able to submit any other proposal other than to amend the bylaws. So, so that same proposal that you wanted to submit, you won't be able to do it. Plus, while it's true that the shareholders can undo a, a bylaw that the board changes or, or um, adopts, mm-hmm. uh, the, the board can set a high standard for that and say, well, you need 60% of the or 70% of the outstanding shares to amend the bylaws, there's nothing in the statute that says what the standard is. So in practical terms, if a board 
wants to put in a bylaw similar to what BNI put in, even in a corporation, they can do it. They can do it. And it really, it would be futile to try to undo that because in most cases, you know, like the actual number of percentage of shares that vote might only be even, you know, 60, 65%. Plus, let me mention one other thing. You're talking about Delaware. That, mm-hmm. That's true that it's in the statute. But let's look at let's look at some of the bad states like Maryland. Mm-hmm. In Maryland, the there is no guarantee that the shareholders can amend the bylaws. So a Maryland corporation, and and as I said, many of the closed many of the mutual funds and REITs, most of them are registered in Maryland, and there the board can divest the shareholders of the right to amend the bylaws, so they could adopt the same bylaw that BNI put in. And eliminate, and there's not a damn thing you could do about it. Yeah, no, I could see uh, potentially Maryland being, uh, you know, more difficult from a shareholder point of view. But I'm having a difficult time imagining like a Delaware incorporated company setting up a 75% threshold of outstanding votes for a contested election and being able to get away with that. Uh, I mean, uh, well, you, you say get away with it. Who's yeah. who's going to stop them? I mean, because of the fact that shareholders have the ability to seek to reverse those changes if the, if yeah, the companies that, put in they, these, they, uh, these kind of bylaws. Yeah, but it, let's say, let's say they, they adopt a bylaw that says you need, say, let's just say 60% of outstanding shares to amend the bylaws, mm-hmm. Where, whereas the board can just meet today on the phone and by, I don't know, let's say there's a, a nine-member board and by a vote of five to four, they can amend the bylaws, bang, it's done. Shareholders mm-hmm. have to first wait for an annual meeting, then they have to get sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Considering the the huge uh, you know problem of apathy and shareholder voting, in practical mm-hmm. terms, it's almost impossible to amend the bylaws. But mm-hmm. a shareholders not going to, and then they would have to spend money on soliciting. I mean, nobody's going to do that. Mm-hmm. So it, it you know while while. Theoretically, it's possible. It's not going to happen. And it, while it's true that that reputable companies like Exxon, Apple, and so forth are not probably not going to do that, that's only because uh, they care about their reputation. But you're going to find some, you, you know, low class company that's registered in Delaware where they saying, you know, we're just going to do it. You know, go ahead. Have you know? And then if you and then if you are fortunate enough to to reverse that, we'll just readopt it the next mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's 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 it. Mark my words, it's going to happen. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, thank you. They warned Trump about the coronavirus, and you know, apparently, he, he didn't act quickly enough. Uh-huh. All right. So let me just ask you about uh, your campaign at Delaware and uh, sorry, dividend and income uh, fund, which, uh, well, as we discussed, is a Delaware incorporated company. Um, on April 27th, you filed preliminary proxy documents seeking to elect this director there. So obviously they weren't able, you weren't able to change the 75 percent of outstanding uh, shares needed to vote to elect the director. But they, they also uh uh, that, that director, they found that he was not eligible to participate, right? So you, you're not able to elect your director. They said I didn't meet the advance notice requirements. Mm-hmm. 
So you do have a binding proposal. Tell me if I got this correctly. You have a binding proposal seeking to have uh, a dividend and income fund terminate its management agreement with Bexel Advisors unless it does a couple of things, including the elimination of the 75% voting threshold in context of elections. Um, is that, you feel like, is that going to come up for a vote or, uh, or right now they're kind of causing trouble for you on all fronts here? Yeah, they're causing, look, DNI is, is at the bottom of the barrel on, on, on governance. You know, they are the, the, the worst of the worst. I mean, you know, they, they have put in every entrenchment device they can. Mm-hmm. Their, their claim is that I didn't give them advance notice on termination of the investment manager proposal. Mm-hmm. But th- look, ultimately, it's a legal question. But the 1940 Investment Company Act says that the shareholders can terminate the investment manager at any time, and that's in the investment management contract. Mm-hmm. So my position would is, and I've told them this, is that we don't need to give advance notice because the contract itself says the shareholders can terminate it at any time. So you don't need advance notice. You can even present it right at the meeting. Whether they're going to allow that proposal to be made uh, is up to them. And if they don't, you know, it may become the subject of litigation. But I feel... We're on a much, uh, we're on a pretty firm footing because that's in the in the federal statute. Did you, do you know if they've submitted a no action request with the Securities Exchange Commission seeking to remove? No, them? I, I don't think they have the guts to do that. Okay, All right. because they, they they'd be on thin ice there because, as I say, it's in the statute. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. There, the meeting, uh, the annual meeting, is likely in June. They haven't set a date, I believe, yet. And right. um, so, thank you for chatting, Phil. This has been the Activist Investing Today podcast with Ron Oral, and you've been listening to Phil Goldstein of Bulldog Investors. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Ron. 